Well, good morning, Bentry. Hey, it is fall weather. Everybody got their flannel on, and uh, it's a good day to have a beard. Amen. I'm glad to be here with you. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles open. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, but we're also going to be in Romans uh, in just a few minutes as well. That's going to be in chapter 12 if you want to put a a thumb there. Let me give you a couple of things. Middle school, if you're in middle school, I want to go ahead and release you. Uh, We've been wanting to for a long time. So you guys can go on to your class. They're in the back there. They're going to be in the other building upstairs. This is the first week of Novo Middle School by itself. We can't wait to see how that works. So if you're in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, you can go ahead and go to that. As you're opening to this, a couple of things for you. You saw the video before about our Africa mission trip uh, going this Thanksgiving. These guys are sacrificing, they're raising money to do that. They're going over the holiday. They're going to spend like uh, 10 days there. It's going to be an incredible thing. So a couple of things. You can be praying for them, encouraging them, giving financial support to them. Uh, But then also we've made up these prayer cards. Uh, You can see it right here. If you want to grab one of those just to be able to hang up on your refrigerator each one has a different member on there so you can grab one i've got uh, nick here i'm going to be praying for him uh and nick needs prayer so i'm gonna i'm gonna be praying for uh for nick on that so you can meet cindy rauschenberger she will be at the next steps tables that tv that says next steps you can get a prayer card there ask how you can be involved specifically how to pray on all that stuff well listen You can listen online to past weeks at BentTreeChurch.com or better yet on the BentTree app. Uh, It's a quick, easy way to listen on on that. You can listen to the last two weeks. I highly encourage you, if you haven't heard that, uh, just to get you up to speed, do that. But then also, also, um, there is a series called uh, Revelation Part 1 at BentTree Church. Uh, that you should also listen to is from October last year. So four quick things before we get started. I've said this each week, real important. Four things to make sure you enjoy this uh, time the most. Number one is come every week. If you have to be gone, make sure and listen. Second thing is uh, there's some strange symbolism in this thing. Don't shy away from the symbolism. Lean into it because the symbolism actually takes us deeper. It has meaning Third thing is drop your preconceived ideas, especially if you've heard something from a TV evangelist. Uh, Drop your ideas on this book. Let Scripture interpret Scripture on this. And then fourth is don't let anything in this book divide us. Because of the uh, number three, a lot of these things, there's people that come down on both sides of particular issues uh, that we'll talk about. I'll teach what I think is essential, but then I'll say this is non-essential, but these are things people believe. Here's what I believe and why. Just a warning, warning, today's service uh, is PG-13 because of the topic that we're in. I'll try to be gentle with this but some scary stuff. So make sure that your seatbelt is securely fastened. Make sure your hands and feet are inside the vehicle at all times. No flash photography. Uh, What do you think about God? What do you think about God? You know, like in your concept of God, what is 
he like? Is he kind of the winking, blinking kind of grandfather that's just kind of smiling in his rocking chair, just kind of going, yeah, whatever you do, he doesn't really see, he just kind of loves you? Is, is he the, the super judgmental kind of God that is just always out to kill your fun? Like he said, don't do that, uh-uh, you know, no, no, no. Or, or is he kind of just some God that's all-powerful, that you can't really know. What is your view of God? When you think about God, what is your view of Him? Is He one that loves you? Is He one that's, that's like your earthly father? In other words, do you kind of secretly put some of your earthly father's attributes onto your heavenly father? What is your picture of God when you view Him? The great theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer said this i i love this he said what comes to mind what comes into our minds when we think about god is the most important thing about us let this sink in a minute what comes into our mind in other words what goes through our minds our hearts when we think about god is the most important thing about us in other words what he's saying he's captured a truth there that I believe for a long time is if we start to understand who God is, then we ought to, uh, ought to understand who we are. Does that make sense? In other words, we start to understand how we should relate to this God. Because think about it, if God, this God of the Bible, is all-powerful, if it's like the old song, He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, you know, if he's got in his hands, everybody's like, wait, wait, stop it. You know, if, if he is all powerful, if he is sovereign, if not a leaf falls to the ground without him saying it's okay, then he's not God. If God is in fact all powerful, everything, check this out, exists because of him and through him now if that's true nothing can control god god doesn't ever say well this made me do that does that make sense nothing ever uh you can never say uh well god needs blank 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 you know what i mean or god had to god doesn't need anything he's completely uh, as sovereign in himself, he doesn't need anything. Nothing causes him to it. And just think about it, because if it did, he would not be God. If that's true, nothing can control God. But that brings up a big problem, doesn't it? At least in my tiny mind, maybe it does yours here. And here it is. If God is truly all-powerful, like he says, completely sovereign God, uh, why does evil exist? You with me? I mean, if he's so powerful, where is the justice in the world? Uh, why do so many children die of starvation, disease? Why uh, do people abuse other people? Uh, I mean, can we just go on here, can't we? Uh, rape, murder, uh, cancer, abuse, death in a fallen world. Uh, it's a fallen world. We can just agree on something, right? Uh, it's an awful 
place. So why does sin exist? I mean, we know that it does. Nobody argues on that point. Uh, we, we cry out, we cry out for justice, right? We, we say, where is the justice? Bibi and I watched uh, that movie, Lion. Uh, if, I, if you haven't watched that, I highly recommend, not for kids. Uh, but I, I, it's just, it, it doesn't answer questions, it just brings up problems, but it's very, very good. I was asking the whole movie, where's the justice in the world? And the answer is, it's coming. He sent Jesus into this world to die for sin, right? Ransom us back. That's what we preach every week, the gospel. But when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he promised, he said, I'll be back and you wait for me here for two millennia. We've been waiting, <laughs> waiting for Jesus to come back. And for Christians, we treat that as like, yeah, he's coming back, but we really don't know what it means. We step to this new revelation uh, today, this new part of revelation, when Jesus Christ comes to get his church uh, and what that return looks like. There's a lot we don't know, but there is a lot God has revealed and wants us to know. But there is, in fact, uh, a lot of mystery that shouldn't be mystery because he's written what he is like here so we can know what we're supposed to do. Make sense? The return of Christ, what it will look like. Look at me, look at me. We're going to see more of who God is today, and I think it may surprise you in this piece of justice. And quite frankly, it may frighten you a bit. Uh, like A.W. Tozer, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because when we understand who God is, we can begin to understand who we are in relationship and how to act, how to act. Uh, and the thing I want us to see as a church is to get down more than anything today is who God is revealing himself to be in this new section of scripture. Let's pray. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word, God, I pray that you would, hey, help my voice to last uh, on this, uh, be that I would be guarded uh, like Christian prayed, uh, that I would be behind the cross, only uh, your words would come out. But God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in scripture, and it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we all prayed and said, amen. The concept not many Christians get is this one, what attribute God has, he has to uh, the infinity or perfect attribute. So let me see if I can say this. Uh, so we can say God is love, amen? That's right. So God is love, he has love in the infinite part. What's not true that may mess you up is love is not God. Does that make sense? God is love, but love is not God. God is merciful. He has mercy in the infinite, but God, mercy isn't God. Does that make sense? He has those attributes, but those attributes by themselves don't make up God. I know that blows our mind a little, a little bit, but what I mean is God doesn't uh, have love. God is love. God doesn't just have mercy. 
He is mercy. So if we go back to our big question for today, why doesn't God just fix the world if he's an all-loving, merciful God? And if he sent Jesus, I think this might be a clue because he is also righteous. Like the song that the angels and the elders sang, holy, holy, holy. He's not just holy, he's holy to the third power. This is no sin in him. He is perfect, but, but because there is sin in the world, we have and Satan has also rebelled against us, and we have too. He has also has, check this out, perfect justice. Justice. Now, we don't want justice when it comes to us. We want mercy, right? But we want justice when something's done against us. It's funny how that can swing. If I do something, I don't want justice, but if someone does something against me, I want justice, and when do I want it? Now! I want it now! But we don't see much of a perfect justice in this world, do we? Well, we're about to. So open up to Romans chapter 12. We'll stop there for just a minute. It's a verse I read a few weeks ago. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You get the idea that never avenge yourselves, even though it's owed you, maybe in your mind, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to what? The wrath of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, leave it to the wrath of God. Good job. Now, do you believe it? Yeah, I didn't think so. Because God is saying, Jesus has paid the price for us. We are, if uh, believers, we are in Christ Jesus, but our job is not to bring judgment our job is what? To bring the gospel, the truth that Jesus loves you and can forgive your sins because of the blood that he shed on the cross. Look, we see from the word repay, vengeance here, repay. Both of those things are big to understand. Vengeance is a thing that is being stored up. God says, leave justice alone. It's mine, and I will repay. What's interesting, we're not going there, but whenever you see the wrath of God, you also see it with the anger of God. You go, God seems like uh, really upset in the Old Testament because it shows a little bit more there, the anger and wrath of God. You go, well, like, is he like a moody God? No, you got to understand, he's got perfect anger, perfect wrath. And he doesn't have any sin. He can deliver on both. Let's get, uh, get the setting back for a moment. Go with me. Picture this scene. For the last two weeks, we've looked in the throne room of God. In this giant room, everything takes place from here on out. And so John is in this room in heaven, the throne room of God, God in the middle, giant throne. There are 24 big thrones with humans on them dressed in white, gold crowns, and with harps. There are Four giant angels, we believe they're big uh, there, that are in the, the uh, shape of, let's see if I can remember, a lion, an uh, ox, the face of a man, and then an eagle in flight. These are seraphim. All they do is worship God. Now, in front of God, seven lampstands, that's the Holy Spirit. Now we see the Lamb of God standing. He's alive, but as if he were slain because his neck has been cut. He has the scars 
of the crucifixion. It's this picture, right? And yet it's not a lamb. Uh, it is a lamb with horns, seven horns and seven eyes. I know it sounds freaky, but all powerful, all seen, fully God himself. So you have the Trinity right there in the throne room of God. You got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You got this picture? Everything from here on out in the book of Revelation launches from this throne room all the visions John has. Jesus uh, is there, the Holy Spirit is there, uh, the God the Father is there. And as Jesus opens the scroll, you remember, they ask, who's worthy? Everybody's crying out, no one's worthy except Jesus says he is worthy and everybody starts to worship God and the Lamb. He takes this scroll that is in God's hand, sealed seven seals, do you remember? And what is the seal? It is the deed to the earth. Now that's an oversimplification, but a good way to think about it. What you're about to see is Jesus start to break the seal, and as he breaks the seal, the uh, seal is read. In the judgment of God, check this out, justice begins to happen. You ready? Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. Hang on just a second. You go, man, we just jumped into it, didn't we? This is the first seal. And at first you think, hey, a white horse. This is good news, but not so fast, not so fast. Look what he says, come. What's interesting is you think uh, when he says, come, uh, you think, uh, hey, saying it to us or saying it to John. He's not. The angel saying, come, is directed toward this person on the white horse. You can write this down. God, in His perfect justice, is now going to begin to open His perfect wrath, His perfect judgment. The writer is not a good guy. You can write this down in your notes. This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. It's not... A good angel, it is, in fact, the Antichrist. Notice that the Antichrist is not a good guy, he's a bad guy, and he doesn't work for God, but God is going to use him to accomplish his purposes. You remember Romans 8, 28? All things work together for God, for those who love him and are what? called according to his purpose it's a truth that god uses again here he's saying look i want you to see right here that this antichrist is not for me but i'm going to use him i'm going to use him like a daggum puppet he's going to do my will and he doesn't even remember that hey daggum did y'all know that was a word that's for where i grew up i want you to understand something here uh, the white horse for the first time is this Antichrist. You will see a white horse later on. Don't confuse the two. The bow is a weapon. Uh, he's also given a crown. He is a ruler of some kind. Uh, we don't know if he's president, prime minister, dictator, or king. 
He's given this authority. Uh, understand, God doesn't go, oh no, he's just been given this. Oh, what do I do? No, God is giving this thing to him and giving the weapon, this bow that the guy has. Something I want us to see here is the horse all throughout the Bible and then ancient world history. The horse symbolizes battles or attacking military strength. Does that make sense? These horses that we're going to see in the next few verses, God's conquest is represented through these horses. These are all, check this out, evil. This blows our little mind because we're going, wait, God is, is making these. No, no, no. God is allowing. Do you see the difference? He's allowing and he's using these things to bring judgment on the world. Now, we've come to a place where we just crossed over the line into a new time frame in history. I want you to write this down. We are in the church age right now. You could do a little parentheses beside it. You could say age of grace. When Jesus died, was resurrected, ascended back up into heaven, it launched the church age. You are sitting in the church age meaning that his church is being built it is growing like wildfire all over the earth in places like china christians now we're not sure of this christians now may outnumber americans did you catch that christians in china may outnumber americans totally not american christians it's growing in places like south uh, South Korea is growing in South Africa. Uh, it is growing in Northeast Africa. It's just spreading like wildfire in places like Russia. Some have called this the age of grace because it is when we can receive the gospel and receive grace. Amen? Grace simply means I get something that I des uh, don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ paid on the cross, we get it, but chapter 6 of Revelation just started a new age. This is a future piece out there. It is something different, and this is the new age just crossed over, dun, 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 called the tribulation. Write this down. Tribulation just started in this. The Antichrist arrives on the world scene. The tribulation starts. Now, don't get ahead of this. Is a future age. The word tribulation simply means this. Here it is. Uh, oh, wait, let's hit this thing. Its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Does that make sense? Conquering and to conquer. He's given a bow, the weapon, and the crown is the authority. And then tribulation, a cause of great trouble or suffering just the definition the tribulation here though represents what we believe is a literal seven-year period in the future some people believe this is uh, not a, a hard and fast seven years I happen to believe that it is it will be broken up into three and a half years and three and a half years a first half and a second half overall it's called the tribulation the first horseman, the white horseman, the Antichrist. We'll study lots more as we go on, but we think we will arrive uh, after a time of trouble. Uh, this Antichrist will kick this off. Uh, we don't know what it'll be. 
But we know that he'll be popular and he'll probably save the world, save the world economically or militarily or both. You with me? Who is the Antichrist? We don't know. In either case, he starts off with being on a white horse uh, kind of guy like people love him and people will give him lots of political power quickly. Now, we're not going to speculate on who this is. Quite frankly, uh, you can look on the internet and get any kind of thing out there uh, from uh, President Trump uh, to uh, President Obama and every president since has been called the Antichrist. But also, uh, Hitler, uh, Mussolini, and Mao. Some of you thought, what's a Mao? Mao, a, a Chinese leader, people thought, no, that guy's it. That's how the tribulation starts, though, in the future. But look at verse 3. We don't know how fast the second horseman will appear, but this is what happens. We think it's probably within weeks or months. When he opened the second seal, this is Jesus, I heard the second living creature say, Come, come. Remember, this isn't what, this isn't a come for us. This is come to the horseman. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was uh, permitted, understand, permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he has given a great sword. This red horse, we can understand why he's red. Why? Because of blood. Because of blood. You guys that have seen combat, for us, we don't understand what that's like, but you guys and girls that have seen combat, lots of blood, uh, we will see something along the line of World War II as a baseline, where it has gone big from there. Now, it's not just warfare. He's given a great sword for warfare, but it is murder taking life on an individual basis. This is set loose here. Now, I'm going to hint at next week just a little bit. Next week is one week you cannot miss. If you've ever wanted to know something, you want to come next week. This is something that we're looking at next week uh, in, as the tribulation comes. Uh, where are we? Revelation 6, verse 5. When he had opened the third seal... I heard the living creature say, come. Again, that's not for us, not for John. It's for the rider, right? And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And here's what you need to know. A denarius is a sum of money that was just about during this age what a day laborer would take home. In other words, you'd work a day, you get a denarius. What this is saying is saying, look, you'll work a, a full day's work just to get enough bread to eat for a meal. Does that make sense? In other words, incredibly high inflation. This would be astronomical in the thousand percent inflation you jo average joe six-pack listening to me right now you'll work all day long you'll get enough to buy a loaf of bread kinda does that make sense but check this out and do not harm the oil and the wine oh hear me there's plenty of food at this point but only the rich get it 
because they can afford it. Does that make sense? There's plenty of food. It's maybe one of the reasons that the Antichrist gets so much power is people will be outraged because of this. Now look at verse 7. When he opened the fourth, fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked. Behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. Some of you are picturing Clint Eastwood, aren't you? I'm sitting Clint Eastwood. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given the authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Look at the color of the horse here. Look at the color. Uh, what color is it? Your, your version may say gray. It, uh, your version may say ashen. But the Greek word behind here is where we get our word for chlorophyll. You remember the, the plants, uh, the stuff inside plants, right? It describes this pale green ashen pallor for those that have been around the dead or corpse that is, in, uh, is rotting. This is the color of a corpse. It is light, green, pale, ashen. God is granting this horseman, hear me, the authority to bring to death 25% of the earth's population. Think about that. You go to the store and every fourth person uh, in the aisle is dead. Just dead. And he says how it's going to happen. Massive uh, death from four main sources. War, famine, pestilence and wild beasts we simply don't know what that looks like but we can imagine right do you see why it's called the tribulation do you see the justice of god you see god saying hey you don't give justice i do i can give it perfectly and now he has notice that hades follows this isn't hell yet uh, you can write hades uh, or Sheol is called the place of the dead. Without going into a big explanation, think of it like this. It is hell-like, but not hell yet. You with me? You with me? Verse 9, fifth seal, watch the scene, switches back into the throne room of God, not on the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, Jesus opens it, I saw under the altar the soul's of those who had been slain, check this out, why they were slain, for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. In other words, they had been killed for their faith during the tribulation. Now, in the tribulation period, martyrdom will be common everywhere. Not like today. It is very common in some places. They are in quote tribulation in some of the places like south sudan would be uh one of those places in china uh jesus though is saying this is going to be different it's going to be a whole new level jesus is being asked by his disciples you remember this he's saying uh his disciples were walking with him when he was here on the earth and they said hey how do we know when all of this end time stuff is going to happen how do we know that stuff what does jesus say he says you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. By the way, anybody hear of any wars or rumors of war? Just wondering, just wondering. 
See that you are not alarmed. He said, don't let it worry you. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. All the ladies say amen. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations uh, for my name's sake. Now he's talking to the disciples, and they would be martyred, all but John. All but John. John is on the island. He's the last one left, right? But he's also talking specifically in verse 9. He is quoting here from the Old Testament, but he's quoting to the forward to this verse in Revelation to these souls that are under the, the uh, altar in heaven. You got this picture there? He's saying this is right there. This is who I'm talking to. Jesus is talking about the same thing here. Believers being killed for their faith in the tribulation. Now, believers being killed for their faith in Jesus uh, in the 13th chapter of Zechariah. You can write that down if you want. The prophet in the Old Testament told of a day of tribulation as a time when two-thirds of the Jewish population would be murdered. Two-thirds. Now, a lot of people during World War II thought that we were in the tribulation. Rightfully so. They thought, look at all this stuff that was happening. Verse 10 of Revelation 6, though, we hear what the martyred believers are saying to God. I want you to see this. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, how holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. What are they asking for? Justice. They want justice. And who do they want it on? Those who dwell on the earth. These are the guilty on earth, not the believers. They want justice. They've been murdered during the tribulation. They're crying out the last line for those that dwell on the earth. Then look what God does for these that have been murdered for their faith during this seven-year time frame. Verse 11. But then they were each given a white robe. Sound familiar? And told to rest a little longer. Now this is going to mess some of you up. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. He said, guys, wait. Here's a robe. I want you to rest. There's more to die on the earth. In other words, there are more believers on the earth right now that will be killed for their faith. Wait. Welcome them in. Jesus opens up the sixth seal. When he opened up the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth and the, full, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it's shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. You get this picture, don't you? Something switches here. We'll get a better handle on it in future weeks. But watch what happens next. 
verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall down on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who do you see as asking for this? It's the kings, it's the rich, but it's everyone. They're gathered underground. Now, this is just open-handed stuff, right? This isn't scriptural. This is just Paul right here, okay? So God guard me if this isn't from you. But what would make the stars disappear? Black smoke covering the earth from massive war, massive fires. The sun appears red in the morning to us because it goes through the haze in the morning. If it had to go through haze all day, it would be blood red. The stars would appear to go away. John is looking. He goes like they just fell. Could that be the smoke rising? What are the caves? I don't know. Missile command centers all over the world. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. Do you hear me? Like Colorado Springs. Or... The thing I want you to see here, no matter what it actually looks like, is these people see God and they see the Lamb. They see God the Father and they see the lamb, and they're saying, oh, fall on us. They're not asking for him to save. They're saying, world, protect us from his justice. You see it? Justice is being carried out. Perfect justice. This is heavy, isn't it? Now, sometime during this period that we've just read about in these six seals, the great tribulation has started. You can write down in this verse, sometime in the six seals that we've just done of the seven, the great tribulation has started. That's the second half, the three and a half years. We'll be exploring that more in coming weeks, but know this is the question many of you will ask. Will we be a part of the horrible time? Let me give you an answer to that next week. For you believers, I believe with my whole heart, the answer is no. His answer is no. But what that entails, uh, next week we'll talk about an event, specifically uh, an event that some call the rapture. And I will talk about that in great detail specifically next week. So you don't want to miss that piece. By no means do all theologians agree on this one. Uh, but I'm going to give you my best picture of what I believe Christians face uh, when Jesus returns like a thief in the night, quickly, boom, in the twinkling of an eye, I think what will happen, uh, and we will study that. We're going to try and answer what the uh, rapture is, uh, answer uh, what the uh, rapture is for, the timing of the rapture in regards to this tribulation, and what the Bible says about the rapture. Uh, listen. I know uh, this is heavy stuff. Stick with me for just a few minutes. I know. Thank you for being here. When we understand who God is, we can start to understand how we're supposed to act. Let me give you three quick things to help you get through this as you read it. Write this down. Number one, 
the beginning of the end is near. Jesus said we're in the end times as soon as he went back. We are in the end times. The church age is the last age before the end. We're going to talk about this a ton more in coming weeks, but I think it's near. Maybe our lifetime. The apostle Peter told us this in 1 Peter 4. He said the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Why be self-controlled and sober-minded? For the sake of your prayers. He's saying you've got to be able to pray. Or how about this one? 2 Timothy. This is Paul 3, verse 1. But understand this. That in the last days, there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Hello? Does that sound like us? It sounds like us. Anyone think we're close to the end? Raise your hand. Number two, write this down. The wrath of God will be deserved. Will be deserved. This is important to understand. The wrath of God will be deserved. The reason for the great tribulation is so terrible, bloody, nasty, is that God hates sin. It's hard for us to grasp how bad sin is. The only way that I can kind of, kind of get the idea is thinking about when one of my kids uh, uh, would have been kidnapped and a kidnapper would take my kids and turn my kids to hate me. And I can't get to the kidnapper, but when I do get to my kids, the kids are going, whoa, you're a hateful God. You see what I mean? That hate that I would have towards that kidnap that's what God has towards sin. It's hard for us to grasp. But get this, Romans 1.8, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against how much ungodliness? All. And unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in in the things that have been made so they are without excuse someone said you mean God would would punish an innocent person send them to hell? And I would say, no, 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 God would never do that. But here's the caveat. There are no innocent people. We're all guilty. So we get around it by trying to play like, it's, it's I didn't murder, so just because I hated my brother uh, uh, doesn't mean I murdered. Jesus says it's the same. Look at this. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, what? The wrath of God is coming. Do you hear the horse, uh, uh, horses running? Now, for unbelievers, if you're not a Christian, this is for you. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
Do you understand? If you're not a believer, you're storing up wrath for yourself. God's ready to bring judgment. But let me give you one more thought. Number three, God's wrath is avoidable. It's avoidable. It's coming, and yet we can avoid it. Well, you don't have to be under God's wrath if you receive His Son as your Savior and Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.22, the Apostle Paul says this, For our sake He made Him, talking about Jesus, made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, praise God. Somebody say amen. Listen to me. If you're not a believer, this is what it means. Jesus took on himself all sin. He has paid for your sin. If you don't believe, you will pay for your sin in hell. But why? Because you're guilty. I was guilty too. But Jesus came in and forgave me of my sin. He took my sin upon him. I want you to see this, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was hanged on a tree, the cross. He paid the price. He became the curse. Look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Look up here. The reason we're doing this series is to make sure that we're ready. You understand that at the end of every prayer, when we say amen, it says so be it. There are a limited numbers of amens before Jesus returns. There are a limited number of Sunday mornings before Jesus returns. There is a day fixed in the future when Jesus will return. Number one, if you're not a Christ follower, you should be. Time is short. I don't mean to just scare you, but listen, the threat's real. Number two, if you are a Christ follower, what are you doing with your time, talent, treasure? Our call from Jesus is clear. The only reason we are here on earth after we're saved is one and only to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to grow people up so they can in turn share the gospel. If you're a Christian or not, think about this picture two-lane road, you're driving along, it's dark, it's rainy, you've passed no one, it's two-lane road, it's rainy so you can't see anything, you see every once in a while, taillights kind of disappear in the future, you got the wipers on full, uh, you've got people behind you, and then you see somebody out of the side of the road, they're jumping up and down, they're waving something, going like this, you pull over, you crack the window just a little bit uh, because you're not crazy and you're, for, you're worried that that person might be and it's me. And I'm, I'm yelling, going, stop, stop. And you see my science, there's danger, danger, bridge out. 
And, and I'm saying, don't go this way. The bridge is out. The bridge is out. And you say, what do you, what I'm, what do you mean there's people going? I was, I'm, I'm saying they're going off into this canyon. They're all dying. Have you noticed no one's coming back the other way? And you say, okay, what do I do? And you say, right over there, it's hard to see, but there's a little dirt road. Just go down that little gravel road. It's not marked. There's not lights on it. It's narrow. Go that way. It will take you to your destination. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the gospel. People are going off the road ahead of you, dying. It's time for you to warn people, and I say, there's another way to get there. Here's the deal. It's not just my word. It's the Word of God you can count on. And here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you need to be, uh, you, you need to help with the warning. You hear what I'm saying? You need to be with me jumping up and down on the side of the road saying, this way, this way. It's death that way. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know I've sold my life out to this cause. Not because I thought it was a good career. The bridge is out of, up ahead. If you continue this route, a horrible, horrible future awaits. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. But Jesus is coming back for those he loves. 